You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlett. I had the opportunity to continue our series, First Things First, all about putting God first. And I want to take you to a familiar story in Genesis. This is in Genesis chapter 4. This is uh, the famous Cain and Abel story. So we're going to look at this more closely. I'm going to pull a couple of things from this. So let's go ahead and read from verse 1. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. All right. Can we just appreciate for a moment how weird this story is and and the, the novelty of it? I mean, we are dealing with the first ever human death, most likely, and certainly the first ever murder. I wonder what that was like for Cain and for Adam and for Eve. They probably had never seen a murder before. I mean, this is the first one. So you don't have that in your awareness. Now, you've probably seen animals die. You've probably killed animals and eaten them, that kind of stuff. But at this point... I don't think anyone has ever died, human being-wise. And so I wonder if Cain knew that he was going to kill Abel when he struck him in anger in this way. Maybe, but then once he did it, the reality of his situation, a never-before event right here, and the weight of that, although his response is pretty damning. I mean, he's like, I don't know where he is. I'm not my brother's keeper. 
And this, this is a really interesting situation. Now, a lot of skeptics, a lot of people coming into the Bible and not really understanding how to interpret the Bible, they have a lot of questions about this. And I understand that. And so let, let's just be honest with some of the questions. First, they're like, what is, what is Cain worried about people killing him? What people? His mom and dad? Like, what's going on here? Got, you have Cain, you have Abel, you have Adam and Eve. Those are the only people that's mentioned so far in the Bible right here. Is he so intelligent and with such great foresight that he recognizes that other people will come and then they might one day want to kill him here in the story? That seems, seems odd. And then if you keep reading, Cain goes on and, and has sexual relations with his wife and, 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 and he has children and children and children and, and creates a big city. And they're like, where did his wife come from? How did he get a wife? What's going on here? They're asking all these questions, all right? So I'm gonna help you, help you with some of the weirdness of this, okay? Proper biblical interpretation, it all makes sense, but you have to understand. Genesis is a historical narrative, okay? That is true. It's a historical, kind of like the, you read in the Kings and you, you hear about the different histories of, of Israel. I, Genesis is also a historical narrative, but what makes Genesis unique it is covering a wide expanse of time. And what the purpose of the Bible is, is to give you little snapshots of things that were significant to God's people. And it's all about pointing to Jesus. The Old Testament is pointing to the need for a Messiah and pointing to how Jesus came to be from this people group that, was, that God chose. And then the New Testament is looking back to what Jesus did and that, that he is the Messiah and then what that means for us. And so in the Old Testament in Genesis, God is only sharing stories of, of huge significance to his people. If he was to share everything of significance to his people, the book would fill the entire earth, okay? You couldn't possibly contain all those details. So it's just snapshots. And in between these snapshots, are huge periods of time, sometimes decades, sometimes centuries, okay? And what's also unique is it's not completely chronological. Sometimes they'll do a summary of a wide expanse of time, and then God will go back and explain in more detail one incident that happened. And then it'll move forward, sometimes decades, sometimes hundreds of years, and it'll give you another snapshot, all right? And so you need to understand that it's not giving you all the details. All right, why do I bring all that up? Because we don't know for sure that Cain was first, all right? He appears to be the first one after the fall, and I believe that he was the first human being made. If you look at Eve's, Eve's response here, Lord gave me help and produce a man. But again, it didn't say he was the first man, and we don't know for sure that she didn't have people before it became very laborious. I mean, because the one the curses in, in chapter three is that from now on, childbirth is going to be painful. Did she know an unpainful childbirth before that? We don't know for certain. I don't lean that way. I think Cain was the first. But then it says, then she had Abel. We have no idea if Abel was second. There could have been other daughters. There could have been other sons. We don't know for sure. But even if you think Adam, sorry, Cain and Abel are number one and number two, all right, it never mentions any daughters, even though we know that they had daughters. And at the end of chapter four, it even says Adam and Eve had, had Seth and then had many, other, had many other children, all right? We didn't name all of them, don't have time for all that. They had many other children. And then the next chapter, it says, how old was Adam when he had Seth? 130 years old when he had Seth. 
So here is an adult male with an adult female, and Seth had not come around for 130 years. You don't think there were other kids? There were lots of other kids. There were probably, there could have been hundreds of people living at this time when, when Cain committed this murder. And so that's kind of the explanation there. There's some, some hermeneutics for you and some apologetics all in one, all right? But now we're gonna get to my main point. I wanna look at why Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. I find this very interesting. And some people think it's because Jesus, like that God wanted a blood sacrifice. He wanted the, the firstborn of the flock, all right? And because Cain produced vegetable, produced his harvest, that that made it unworthy. I want you to know, I don't think that has any validity. I don't think that's true at all. It doesn't make any sense, all right? But one, this doesn't refer to a sin offering, okay? This is just an offering to glorify God. And if you go to the Israelite people and the law that was given to them, they can make a wine offering, they can make an oil offering, they can make a grain offering, they could bring produce from their fields and their trees. They could bring all kinds of things and sacrifice it, all right? But here's the key, here's the detail. It says, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift, but Abel brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. I really think Cain brought the leftovers. He brought a portion that he was not concerned about. He's like, oh, Abel's making this, this sacrifice to God. I should do a sacrifice too. And he's like, well, I don't wanna take the, the nice looking apple and, and bananas and oranges and, and wheat. I'm just gonna I'll take some of this leftover. And he just, he just gave him some, all right? Abel took a step of faith, a leap of faith and says, this is the very first and best of I, what I have produced. I don't even have a guarantee that the next will be as good or if it'll even come. I'm gonna give you the first and best of what I have, trusting you, and I'm gonna give it to you because I love you. And Cain said, I'm gonna give you my leftovers. And God said, I don't want you leftovers. That's not good enough for me. And so he accepted Abel's sacrifice, did not accept Cain's, and Cain allowed anger and bitterness and jealousy to enter his heart. And God even told him, Cain, what's wrong with you? Don't let jealousy invade your heart. Don't, don't harden your heart against me. Sin is waiting to seize you and gain control of you. Just do the right thing. I'm telling you, I want your first and best. Just do the right thing. Instead, he turns away in his anger and his jealousy and the sad part about this, it says one day, Cain suggested. That's, it's not the same day. We don't even know it's the next day. He was stewing about this and growing more and more embittered that God loved, seemingly loved Abel more than him, and he strikes him down and kills him. Kills his own brother. What a tragedy. In the wide world today, when we read about a brother killing another brother and thinking about the implications for the parents and for the brothers and sisters and the family, it's tragic. But in the first family, never having seen death like this, think about how much more tragic it is. And so God punishes them. And so this is the, my main point for today. I believe that God has always and will always want the first and best of everything that we have. This is a principle that is found throughout scripture. And I'm going to prove it to you this morning. I want to, I'll take you even to earlier to the Garden of Eden. 
God gives Adam and Eve this amazing garden. But then, as the one thing that they can do to show that they love him back and that they are devoted to him and that they trust him, he's like, there is one tree. It's the best tree. It has this knowledge of good and evil, a knowledge that only I should be able to, to that, I, that I can handle. It's not be good for you. Don't eat of this tree. He wanted the best and the first thing that knowledge, he wanted them to trust him and give that back to him. So again, he's asking for that. We all know what they chose anyway. They chose not to trust God. And then you fast forward to Abraham. He does the same thing to Abraham. He promises Abraham over and over and over again that he is going to have a son. And finally, he has this son. And then the son is kind of teenage years. And he's like, you know what? Abraham, I want you to sacrifice the son. Which seems like a crazy thing to ask. Why would God ask that? Now, God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice his son. It wasn't about that. It was a symbol of what he was going to do for us in the future. And he was always going to provide an alternative way here. But he wanted to see if Abraham would give the first and best back to him, not knowing what would happen. In the same way, Abraham also goes and rescues his nephew Lot. And when he comes back from that amazing victory where 300 of Abraham's servants defeat multiple kings in their armies he takes all this loot and on the way back he sees he runs into this priestly king melchizedek and he gives the 10 percent of that bounty to melchizedek it's the first time we've see, we see a tithe of something in scripture and as a result of him doing that this king priest melchizedek blesses abraham fast forward to his grandson we have jacob and jacob has nothing He's going away hiding from his brother Esau. He has absolutely nothing. He wrestles with God. And on this way, he says, God, if you will bless me, if you will give me all kinds of stuff, all right, I promise to give you 10% back. Now, that's a pretty good deal. You've got nothing, and you ask God, if you bless me and make me a wealthy man and give me lots of children and a big family, I'll give you 10% back. And that's all God wanted in the first place, this acknowledgement that he is Lord of their lives. He's like, you know what? I'll do that for you. And so it became an established practice among the Israelite people. But then you have the whole debacle with the Israelites being slaves and Moses having to rescue. And then God says, man, these people are hard-hearted and stubborn. They will not do the right thing. So I'm going to give them a detailed law of exactly how to put me first and how to love me. And in that, this is where he explains that everything you produce, your grain, your harvest, your crops, everything, your money, you give the first 10% back to me. And then he said, and that established a principle, all right? And if you look at whenever Israelite was captured, there are three things that always stood out for why God allowed them to go into captivity and why he expressed judgment on them. Three things. One is they served other gods. They did not put him first. They treated him as just one of many gods that did not put him first, right? The second thing that is happening over and over again, they did not honor the Sabbath day, which is a day that was set aside to make sure God was first. And the third thing was they did not give of their, their income, whatever they produced, their money, that kind of stuff. They, did not, they, they stole the tithe from him. He brings these things up over and over again. You cheated me, you've rebelled against me, and you did not put me first, so because of that, I'm gonna let you go your own way without my protection. 
And he says, and I wanna take you, I know I'm skipping a lot of verses here, but I'm just, because for sake of time, I'm just gonna read to you one from the Old Testament, and that is Malachi 3.10. So I'm gonna go there real quick. This is probably the most famous passage um, when it comes to, to offerings, and it says this. God says, you cheated me. And the people are like, and this is, I'm reading verse eight, should the people cheat God, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven to you, for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the only time God says to put him to the test. This is the only area of life he says to put him to a test. He's like, trust me with your money, and I promise that I will unleash the storehouses of heaven and bless you. Now, why is, this, why is he so concerned about their money and their ties? Why is this important to him? Does God need it? Of course not. God doesn't need your money. Everything belongs to him in the first place. Everything that we have belongs to him. And he can create anything that he wants. He doesn't need your money. Why? It's because he wants your heart. He wants our heart. And he knows that money has a way of taking our heart. That's why in the New Testament it says you cannot serve two masters. You can either serve me or money. Why not me and the devil? Why not me and your spouse? Why not me and your career? Why not me and the kids? Because those don't have nearly as much trouble competing for his heart and our heart. It's because money, and this is why it is, money provides independence from God. It makes you feel like you don't need him because you can do it on your own. At the same time, it also, money and wealth produces complacency and comfort and it is a lot more difficult to take those steps of faith and follow God when you're comfortable and he knows the temptation of this and, and he knows that the world will constantly produce a message that you need more and that these things matter and because of that he's like no give me the first 10 first and best of everything you have give that back to me so I know that I have your heart I know some people are, are, are thinking well you read a lot of that in the Old Testament but that's not, in, that's not really focused on in the New Testament. There's nothing about tithing in the New Testament. Well, that's not true, all right? Jesus does confirm that we should be tithing. He does that in Luke, he does that in Matthew. He says, of course you should be tithing, all right? But other things are even more important than tithing, okay? You should show mercy, you should show forgiveness, you should turn the other cheek, all these different things. You should give to the poor, right? That's not my focus, it's not the tithing, but know that the tithing helps protect your heart, all right? So he does confirm it. But you wanna know why it does not focus hardly at all in the New Testament about the tithe? It's because Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. He is the great counselor, he is our friend that is supposed to help our conscience make the right choices. And when you accept Jesus Christ and your Savior and the Holy Spirit is inside you, he is supposed to direct every step that you take. We are supposed to filter all of our decisions through what would Jesus want and what does the Holy Spirit tell me to do. We are supposed to be led by the Spirit. And that is why, that should be our spiritual formation is to be led by the Spirit. 
The problem is most believers do not ask the Spirit what to do. Most, most people that call themselves Christians are not led by the Spirit. They're never even thinking about asking the Spirit. They pray to God, but they're not asking God exactly what I should do, or they are not trained well enough to actually hear and respond to the Spirit. But the whole point is to get to a point of spiritual maturity where you are led by God, that you are doing things for God, including in the area of money. And I got news, I got news, troubling news. It is highly unlikely that the Holy Spirit will be less generous than the Old Testament law. The New Testament and the Holy Spirit is gonna be like, give to that person, that person's in need, that person's in need, how can you help that person? And you do that, God promises, all right, the more you give out, the more I'll give back to you abundantly. Shaken up, patted down, and overflowing, all right? This is what he promises us, that if you trust me, that you keep giving the way I tell you to give to people, then I will keep filling you up. You will never be without, because my people are never going to go hungry. My people will always have a roof over their head. Why are you worried about these things? But he's saying, but you're supposed to be led by the Spirit. And so my challenge to you is, yes, as a church, I, and this is something I need to do better. In all my decisions, I need to be led by the Spirit. In all my decisions. And if we are going to be hard-hearted and stubborn and not be led by the Spirit, then it might be a good idea to look back at the law and figure out what we should do. Because we're not using the New Testament way that we're supposed to be. And I know some of you are thinking, man, I want to tithe. I want to give the first and best of what I have. But I'm too poor to do it. I don't have the money. I know. I know. That is the natural, that, that's the, mo the most common reason why people don't give is they feel like if they give, they won't possibly make ends meet. But I'm telling you, until you start giving, you're always going to be in a situ situation where you can't make ends meet because you're not trusting God in this area. I can speak this from personal experience. When in college, God was challenging me, like, like step up, start tithing. You see in scripture, you know you're supposed to, but you're not doing it. I would give $20 here and there when I could, but here's my issue. I had kind of a heavy lead foot, all right, when I was driving. I get pulled over a little bit, so my insurance was high, I was paying these tickets, and I always had a car that was a money pit. There was always a flat tire, there was always a hose broken, there was always a belt broken, and so because I had this money pit of a car and, and a few speeding tickets, I never had any money. And I had a couple different jobs throughout college, but I could not make ends meet, I was barely scraping by. And I remember when God was struggling with this, I was like, fine God, I'll never go out to eat with my friends, I'll never do anything fun, I will sit around at home and have nothing. But I'll give you, I was not a cheerful giver, all right? Can I just say I was not a cheerful giver? But I started doing it faithfully, and a weird thing happened. It started with me running over a cow, all right? And so <laughs> you're like, how do you hit a cow? Well, it was a black cow, and it was at night, okay? And, a, and, and El Camino, a big, had like knocked a cow over into my side of the lane. I, I couldn't see it for his headlight, and I, my little, like, 86, uh, cherry red BMW like hit this thing and like ramped it all right and it came down and broke my axle I, I thought I was like who put a ramp in the road and I go back there and it's a it's a cow all right and so I go back there I'm like why are you telling me a cow story well this is why 
Farmers insurance, that's a real thing, all right? They paid for everything to get fixed in that car. And I was like, I'm tired of paying all these exorbitant bills from stupid BMW. No, I love BMW, right? Okay, that's fine. I've never had another BMW. Like, if you work at BMW, I love you, all right? But this car was a money pit, and it's really expensive to get things fixed, all right? And so I, uh, so I was like, man, um, I, I traded in, got into the car, and from that moment, I have never again had a car break down on me. This is over 20 years. And even more miraculous, I have never gotten a speeding ticket since then. And if you know how I drive, that makes no sense. And so I have a theory that God and I have a deal. I think he, angels, turn the heads of every cop as I go by, right? And the staff gets after me, because they're like, there's no way this is, like, that's not how God would work. And I'm like, the proof is in the pudding. Like, you know how I drive, and I haven't got any speed tickets. I really put it to the test about a year and a half ago. I was in, uh, my wife and I went on a trip to Utah, and we were in a national park. And it's beautiful, all right? So my eyes were not on my speedometer. My eyes were on, like, all these beautiful outlooks over in Bryce's Canyon. And so I'm going down, and I remember it was 45 miles per hour. I was going about 52. That's safe, right? And so I'm going a little bit over. I'm looking at these scenic things, and I, I get pulled over. I'm like, seven over? Come on, buddy. And he, he comes to my window. He's like, do you know what, how, how fast you're going? I was like, yeah, about 52. Do you know the speed limit? And I was like, yeah, 45. No, 25, 25. I was like, I'm screwed. All right, and he, so he, and he was like, yeah. I was like, how did it just turn? He's like, two miles ago. I followed you this whole way to see if you would slow down. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I thought it was still 45. It, it's beautiful out there. He goes back, and I'm like, well, there goes the streak. The streak is over. Kane's back. Here's your warning ticket, sir. Streak is on. So I, I'm convinced this is my deal. Now, don't think you can get this deal from God. This is just me and him, all right? But I am telling you, in some way, shape, or form, you will be blessed. I don't know if money will appear in your mailbox. I don't know if you'll get a raise. I don't know if your kids will start, stop getting sick. I don't know what will happen for you, but I'm telling you that when you trust God in this area and give them the first and best of what you have, the first 10%, then he blesses all that you have. And here's the other side of that coin of why things change radically. It's because he changes your heart. When you give him your heart, he takes it and he changes it. And you care about things a lot less of this world. You start making wiser decisions. And so if you just put him first in your life, your life will radically turn around. Now there are three areas I want to talk to you very briefly. I don't have a lot of time, but here's what I want. So the first is money. I've already covered that. I just want to challenge the area to prayerfully considering, take a step of faith in that area. The second one is your time. I really believe this first and best thing goes for every aspect of your life, including your time. Now, I am not a morning person, all right? My normal routine is I roll out of bed and get my kids up for school, and then I go back to bed until I have to actually take them to school, all right? I hate mornings. That, was, that used to be my old routine. Then we got a couple of foster kids that were young and they couldn't help themselves. So then I had to like roll out of bed, make them breakfast, get them, get them changed, and I had to like make sure they didn't choke so I had to stay up. And so God, you know, you can't go back to sleep when kids are eating, right? Young kids. And so I, and so I started thinking like, what am I doing? I'm just, I'm, I'm out here like trying to not fall asleep. Why am I not giving the first part of my day to God? 
all right? And so usually I did my, my kind of prayer time at night, and, and during the day I would do my study time, but I was like, I'm gonna give the first half hour of my day to God. I'm gonna read the Bible, I'm gonna pray. Radically changes your perspective on the whole day. Radically changes your life. And so I wanna challenge you, the first thing you do in the morning, make it a prayer. Even if it's 30 seconds to start out with, even if it's just a minute or five minutes, give God that first couple minutes of your day and see how it changes your whole perspective about that day. It is really hard to, to yell at, at bad drivers when you've just been spent time praying and been in the word. And then develop, just give God a few verses of, of the day. And then add to that until you're on one chapter a day and start your day that way. But also, I would encourage you, when do you work best? Now, some of you might be working and you don't have flexibility and you're at your best at 10.30 a.m. and you can't give that time to God, all right? But look at the time that you have available. When are you operating at peak capacity? When are you at your best? Carve out 15 to 30 minutes of that time, your best time, and spend time with God in prayer and devotion in the Word. It will change you if you give God your best. And the last thing I wanna share with you, the third thing I wanna challenge you is also to give your successes to God. This really made a difference in my life. Um, everything that we have comes from God. Amen. Who you were born to, your opportunities, the mentors in your life, the wealth that you accumulate, the people that you meet, the kids that you have, Everything starts with God. It, the Bible tells us every good thing comes from above. And when you think that everything I have is because of God, if you embrace that mentality, then everything that you do well and you get praised for, who deserves the glory? God. And this, I, I've seen this in my life and of those around me that, ha, that, that buy into this principle, when your first thought, when you're getting praised, is, thank you, God. I could not have done this without you. This is all because of you. This is all for you. But that is your thought. And even sometimes your words so that other people know that this is, this is he is first. It is all about him. And I'm telling you, success will be hitting you left and right. You will have so many more opportunities because he'll trust you with those opportunities because he can trust you to put him first. Give him your first and your best in every area of your life and you'll be transformed by the Holy Spirit. You will be a new person and you will be blessed beyond measure. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for this church. Will you close, will you bow your heads and close with a prayer with me? Lord, thank you so much for your patience with us. We constantly go through life thinking about ourselves and thinking about the things that we care about in this world that are, are meaningless, that we will not take into the next life. Help us to store up treasure in heaven. Help us our focus to be filtered through you and how you would do things. Help us to be a people in a church that puts you first in every area of our life. I pray if anyone is, is challenged this morning, if anyone is, is struggling with making a decision, I pray that they will have the boldness and the courage to talk to someone before they leave, to tell someone that they're gonna make a change in their life, that there is gonna be a difference from here on out. 
Help us to wake up each morning thinking of you. Help us close our eyes at night thinking of you. Help everything that we do and everything that we say to be your honor and glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.